You are listening to Strings Attached. I am Asaf Mohs. I wanted to thank you for your warm comments, and some of you even sent me some questions. I love it. Keep them coming. My guest today is a world famous clarinet player. He talks about his different ways to try and change a bit the way we consume and perform classical music. We spoke about dealing with criticism and how struggling with limitations could actually bring positive outcome. I think there's a lot to learn from him. I'm a Martin Frost clarinet player, um, conductor, and um, I'm loving what I'm doing. Martin, you've been playing the clarinet since so many years. Do you remember the moment that it became real, that the moment that you thought, I'm going to do this professionally? Uh, I, I didn't choose anything when it came to uh, what shall I do with my life. It always felt like it was music. But having said that, I think that when I started, I started with violin when I was five, I think, five, six years old. And that, I wasn't any good at that. And, and it didn't, it faded out sort of because I, I yeah, I, I had so many other interests in that time. But then and I went into piano and then I got this recording with the Academy St. Martin in the Fields with Jack Brimer, uh, with Mozart Clarinet Concerto. And I, I really, it's something happened there to connect with the clarinet. And uh, before that, I, I, I don't think I could see the difference between a noble and a clarinet. So I, I was brought up in the north part of Sweden. But then I felt something and I started to play. And after a couple of years, I felt that this could be something that... And I also was a bit on my way from the north part of Sweden. Even if I love it there, I was sort of lonely in, in the... In the sense of being surrounded by musicians because it was not uh, it was not that kind of, of culture life up there which could have been I mean it was good and bad because you were sort of you were alone and you can spend a lot of time being creative that that we don't have so much of today because have, we had so much stimulants all the time uh, up there it was you were quite in peace and you can uh, sit down and learn how to play So you're talking about this learn how to play, how to practice. And I'm very curious, now you've been playing the clarinet for some time now. What do you think is the main aspect of practicing that changed since your childhood to the person you are today? Did you change anything in your practicing way of thinking? You know, when, when I think of myself, it it's, has been a lot about only the passion and the... education and your curiosity to to go to a field that you are not really secure what, what is this and that's also my way of practicing so when you say how did it change i would say from the start it's more about you know basic try to learn it how to try to control it and uh, the more you develop the more you realize that It, it gets sort of when you start to, for example, lead and play, which I start actually with you in, in Verbier uh, for the first time uh, when we did a Mozart concerto there. That was the first time I, I did something without a conductor by my side. And that's a huge education for anyone. And, of course, every single thing that you do change your way of practicing or change your way of, of learning and get involved with music. So I would say now when I practice, I don't think I practice less because now I'm 53 years old and I, I really think that 
uh, it doesn't get easier, but it changes in a good way, I would say, because it's it's changing in a way that that you uh, you have to keep what's you, and uh, when you get older, you, the, the subtle things you have maybe to work a little bit more. On the other hand, you get calmer, and you have easier to bring on the message. You are not as adrenaline. Uh, that gets in your way in one in 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 a sense. So I would say everything changes the, the older you get in both way. It's like in relationships, in 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 your family life or with your friends. Everything changing, but you have to balance it. And I actually enjoy that work. I enjoy feeling that I have more problem with some parts and easier with other parts, and to balance up this. It's a fantastic feeling. You mentioned that we we shared the stage in Verbier and we we played together a few times. And one of the remar- remarkable things about you on stage is that you are all the time in motion. You are you are never um in one place standing like a, a quote a, a classical musician. And I wonder when did you I realize that the body language has to be part of who you are on stage and does it matter for you if you're standing still or you're in motion no f- first of all it is a big question i, I don't think we have um, so much con- uh, we are not so cautious no, we, we don't have so much clue about how what we project uh especially when we are in uh, for example on stage or like you and me now uh, improvise conversation we don't we, we are not aware of what we project so i was never aware of projecting i was very provoked when i got these questions uh, when i was younger and now i'm not of course but but uh, because i was just thinking of you know miles davis he stands with his back to the audience and, and no one says anything and as soon as i do something i get questioned that i'm not the classical clarinet player in that sense because they bend their knees and 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 do the things with it whatever you know and i think it's it's so difficult to answer because we cannot see ourselves that's the beauty one of the beauty we can just give and 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 lots of energy goes between us but having said that that's not your question the question was when i get provoked i i, I won't mention i was in a in a, in a big orchestra in in america one of the best and i played and i was very jet lagged and uh, i was kind of nervous uh lots of adrenaline and i had to breathe and 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 then i realized after that that's also one of the one of the moments when i commu- communicate even more with my body uh and i was so sad because when i was so confused because then i got a quite bad review or the review was not bad actually but the reviewer criticized my way of moving because he said that i tried to show off that i knew who i had duet with i turned to the viola when i play something there i think it was the mozart concerto and i t- when i had this low register i turned to the cello or the violin when i do this and he couldn't be more wrong because i was i was not secure at all but i had to get involved with the music and one way to do it for me is to breathe and to try to in a physical way communicate with what i think is you know the score what he wrote what 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 
when shall we make chamber music together here or there? And I don't think it's something wrong with that. That's as a listener, you enjoy that as well to see that they are trying to make music upstate. It's not like you try to show off for the for the audience. You try to to create something together, and I think that's most the most beautiful thing that I can. Uh, experience on stage. I mean, I've seen you work, and now that you're a conductor as well, we tend, as you say, dig into details, dig in, dig, go into the small particles of the music, and sometimes maybe we forget that there's the bigger picture, there's the flow, there's the beauty of music. Do you, how do you know when to stop digging and give this feeling of, okay, and now we make music? It's not just the details. It's this beautiful rainbow that creates this beautiful feeling of music. It's a very, you know, every question has so many answers sometimes because I, I, I remember I talked with a friend about it. I think it was Shanine Janssen, the violin player, and she, it was in a difficult period for me, in a time where it was really difficult. And, and the subject was that when I was on stage, and I think she could relate to that, uh, you start to hear only details and, and you start to, and this was very negative then, and you start to analyze, it's like your brain goes so quick and simultaneously as you play, you get like annoyed or a bit happy because it went as you wanted and you create the word gets smaller and smaller and in the end you just hear all these details and the details becomes so important that you get lost and that is very negative I think so how do you how do you how do you make it how do you turn it and make it a positive thing or how do you move well, on in the rehearsal process especially when you are a leader and but even in chemi music I think it is important to to speak about, for example, with an orchestra, the best way, and it doesn't happen, all, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but if you can speak to their emotional intelligence to get the grip of a, a bigger picture, that always helps, I think, to, to feel that, that the orchestra get this, uh, the bigger picture of what I meant, and, and it's enormously rewarding. I think sometimes, you know, you can say not so many things and the whole situation get to a different level and you let them be and you you shouldn't take credit of it, actually. It's a fantastic feeling to feel like you can really back off a little bit because you maybe said something that creates something with their emotional intelligence and they start, as an organism, the orchestra start to live Uh, and that's one of the most beautiful things that you can experience when, when it starts to happen something. And you can watch or you can listen and you can be happy and proud and enjoy the situation. But in a way, you don't have to control that moment because you already gave the right impulse. That is my way of looking, for example, on conducting. So I'm not the traditional conductor, and I will never be. Another way to look at these details is because, you know, I have played with, I played a lot of chamber music, of course, as well. 
And but also in orchestras, we have a tendency to go after each other, and it's really built on criticism and, and details and everything. And I have a. I also remember when when a story actually from my wife. She works with um, she, she's a logoped. Call it what we call it in English, a speech pathologist, and she works with children uh, with autism and, and with. Uh, selective mutism and and, uh, and all kinds of communication problems. And she, she said once that they get a, they had done a course, and the course was done that they watch a movie with a father with a, a child with difficultness with autism, and they were told that they should write down things. You know what? What do you think about the father? What does he do for the kid? That was the question. It was super ambitious group that were sort of, we want to show that we, we are good at this. And they wrote, wrote down a lot of things, what the father did. Of course, he did a lot of wrong things. And then, okay, so they, they, they showed what they wrote. And then the leader of this seminarium said, can we watch this movie again? And then you think, what does the father do, which is really good? And then they watch again. And the whole group felt so embarrassed because... What the father did, actually, he did 99% great things. And they, of course, didn't realize that because they were just focused on the, on the small bad thing that he did. And sometimes I feel that to encourage an orchestra to really build on, on the few things that, or not on the few things, but to really build an orchestra or, or a group to create things that you can build on. And that's also for yourself, actually, when I'm practicing. You should not only go after yourself on the thing that, okay, I, I'm not good at this, and, and the left hand does this, and I'm not happy with this. You should also realize that I'm actually very good at this, and actually I should be even better, because this is one of my really great things. And I said it to my kids all the time, that the, the, the talent or the, the way of creating something fantastic is a combination of your gift. It's not like, okay, I'm very good at playing... Uh, great double tongue so i'm i'm good at that no it's it's a combination and that's for every artist uh, so you should you should use your combination of gifts and try to develop there you you mentioned your wife uh, karin and i'm curious i've seen you guys in a few occasions that she you are playing on stage in rehearsal or in a concert and she's sitting in the audience and then you guys you would finish the rehearsal let's say And you would talk to her. And I asked her once, do you feel comfortable enough to give Martin uh, criticism? And she, says, she said to me, yes, because he asked for it. And I'm curious, how do you deal with criticism? Especially coming from maybe the closest person to you, from a wife. Do you deal with it well? Do you look for it? You know, Aris, I, I think we are always the... I mean, I was always super self-critic, but I also was, and I still am, dealing with limitation. And I think, actually, I think it's a good, good thing. Limitation is always a good thing because, uh, I mean, different limitation. And we can speak about uh, a format of a symphony or uh, a level of an orchestra, but also as a single artist, if you look at uh, David Bowie or Miles Davis or even Stravinsky or Picasso, they all felt they, they were in a frame and they were using or try to 
hit the frame and try to expand the frame, but they felt their own limitation for sure. And I think it's a good thing. I think the people who are limitless is not the most interesting artists. So I was always thinking that I struggle with my own limitation. And maybe people can say that, oh my God, you are doing so much because you're doing this and this and you're playing and and talking and conducting and, and have first performance a lot and so on. But that's not the point. The point is how you feel. And I think limitation is a great thing there because it's great. When I was younger, I was maybe have more problems with it because then I, I didn't dare to do too much, for example, because I, I was thinking it, I couldn't do it. I, I, it won't not on my level what I wanted to perform. So I tried to not do too much or do pieces that I felt unsecure with. That was my way of finding my way to, to, to the level of performing that I wanted to have. So I was, even if I learned quick, I was not a quick uh, performer when it came to starting with a piece and then get ready for it. Um, I, but I, was, I, I, I think I learned them very carefully and I learned them by heart, even the modern concertos when I was in the 20s and the 30s. But that, that also became a... Not uh, not only good things because I was giving myself a lot of bad reviews when I perform, and I was also always focused on the next performance. I didn't enjoy. I got the question when I was last time in Juilliard that, what advice would you give yourself when you were in the twenties? And the first thing that popped up was uh, try to enjoy more. <laughs> and I, I said it to many young musicians because I didn't. I, I was really trying my best all the time. But as soon as we did a concert, I was happy for 10 minutes. And then it was totally gone, the happiness. The joy of the concert was gone. And I was focused on the next day or the next performance. And that has to do with the focus, what you have been asking about, the t focus on details and fo focus on criticize yourself or the situation or the how you should treat the piece and so on. So, of course, I am focused on what people say to me. And I would say I'm not at all afraid of people criticizing me uh, because it could never be close to what I'm saying to myself. And what the only thing that I can feel is they are completely wrong. <laughs> For example, this reviewer that I said, uh, talked about that, he was criticized my way of moving because I he thought that I was going to show off for the audience and for the orchestra how secure I was about this piece. And it was the opposite. So then I get just, okay, he was totally wrong. Uh, so I will go on with my way of playing and I don't, it didn't affect me so much. But otherwise, especially the one that stands close to you, the people who you think that they want me good, I'm very happy to have to, to being criticized. Uh, and I'm also happy to ask questions. And I have not a hierarchy in my head that I want to have advice from the best uh, all the time. You know, people can say fantastic things in all kinds of areas. And with my orchestra, for example, I have a fantastic stage manager and he gives me advice. He gives me advice on a, in, in a fantastic field that, for example, he says, I came off stage and I said, who, sh who shall I give my flowers to? He said, you know, this woman who sits in the second violin quite far away, she's neglecting, 
this, this week she, she struggled. So please give the flowers to her. And I do it. And I think huh. he's a genius of this. <laughs> because he knows exactly, he feels this. And he's just, you know, a rock and roll guy who chose to be a stage manager for, for my orchestra. And he's gold. He's, he's, he's fantastic. So I think you should be open for all kinds of collaboration, all kinds of give and takes. And remember, for, for you and me and for everyone, is the most beautiful things that you get is when you do things together. It's, it's, it's not like you, you think you are finding all the way yourself when you're sitting with the scores and, oh, I'm, I'm so gifted, I found out this. But actually, it's all kinds of experience with meeting other people or hearing something. And uh, I love when I get together with people and I never try to be the smartest in the room, less and less. Try to collaborate. Try to find out if the orchestra knows more than you. Good way to try to, to start a rehearsal. I think sometimes I just, especially now, I studied the, the Beethoven Third for the first time, Eroic, and I, and, and I go to my orchestra. I know they played it for at least 20 years and they recorded it at least once. So why should I just try to stop them immediately and say, this is my version? I will play it through. I will play it through and listen what they do. And of course I have my wits and I studied like crazy, uh, but you, you, might, you might learn something. You know, 30 years ago, about 30 years ago, we had phones and then came cell phones. And suddenly in 2008, I think, the iPhone was invented. And suddenly the whole paradigm of how we communicate, how we use devices changed. And suddenly since 15 years or so, we are all staring at mini screens, walking around, communicating, sending messages. We changed the way we communicate. In the concert hall, in the concert um, series, so to speak, the paradigm exists already 150 or 180 years old, and, and nothing changed. We have a short piece, a soloist, a break, and a symphony, and nobody wants to touch that. Nobody wishes to move the needle just a tiny bit to change the way we experience music. And I'm curious... You have done so much to try and change it. I'm curious to ask you, first of all, why do, we think, why do you think we are so afraid to move the needle? If we talked about frame, to be in a frame, and I said, I, 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 I like this limitation, and sometimes a small limitation could be really exciting. But for example, what, what I said, I, I'm studying the, 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 the heroic now, and you can see that This guy had a frame that was sort of... I still think that it's, it's a classical frame that he was in. But he did everything he could to change things. But it's not like he felt... He didn't feel the limitation. And I think that's the most interesting way of changing things. So Beethoven changed a lot with his Third Symphony, but it was not like... 
wow, I could do what I want. No, not at all. He wanted to do, I mean, totally different things. And this was a very dramatic time in his life. But it, it, he has his form and he still kept the, the, the sonata form in, in, in its, and it was almost exploding, but it, it didn't. And it was just totally new, everything. Um, and I, I also think that you can translate that into the concept that we try to break codes, but it's also could be very, very, uh, you know, stiff to just break every code immediately, because then you are sort of lost in, in, in a totally, in a concept that had worked for so long time. So you have to do it very clever when you start doing it. And in the same time, now I defend a little bit the system, but in the same time, I think the feeling that I have now is, well, if you, sometimes I, I, I got the question, what do you want to be remembered for? And I think, I don't, I don't think you should think of that at all to be remembered. Uh, I really don't care. And I think you should not care about it. I think you are in danger if you start to to think, oh, I will be remembered as a, as a famous composer, then you are totally far out. I think what you should, what, what would be fantastic for me is if I could be a part, and this is in life, of course, be a part of a change, be part of a wind that suddenly blow in a different direction for us in the cultural life. And you feel that you, maybe even you, you affecting this direction and, and it could be a very, very small part, but you are there and you are a part of it and you feel it. And that's a thrilling experience. And if you could, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to do with being remembered or not, but if you are a part of something that changed the whole musical world in a, in a positive direction, I will be very happy. And that's enough for me. But how do we do that? Exactly. So you've, you've done quite a lot to try to change the paradigm. You, you've, you've done uh, concerts with, uh, with yourself, uh, dressed differently with a mask, playing with the lightings you've created different concerts formats you know your your work exodus that it's it's this huge uh, magnitude of, of a piece that you are playing and talking and acting and telling a story is this the way you're bringing the wind of change yeah and i mean that's also to do with this collaboration that we were talking about before because when i did it with concertgeber orchestra Uh, in this autumn, uh, half a year ago, I'm, I'm just fascinating how they adapt nowadays to this. Because I thought when I was 25, I, I mean, I was also young, but it was much, much more conservative, the whole system. Now, Concertgebouw is a world-class orchestra, but it's not really a, the most conservative orchestra on the planet. Uh, so they are open to changing things. And, and the way we performed, they, they didn't have any... Difficultness with adapting to all the things that I also did with your orchestra, with the Verbier Orchestra, for example. Yeah. Um, and they were singing, and the player were giving this accord, they were stamping, this, all these pieces, they did it right away. And it was a fantastic performance. And I, I love, I think that's the beginning of change, that you can feel open. If you, even if you don't want to be a part, like I want to be a part of the change, maybe you can feel open for it and you can feel like, okay, he show us that this is also possible to do. We don't have to stay in this little box all our life. We can go in this direction. We are allowed to go in this direction. Then, of course, 
that opened a lot of doors for me because then I can collaborate in a much more you know, on much more levels. It's getting much more difficult if I say, "Could we please please try these?" and they say, "No." Or could you play? I'm not going to conduct this. Could you just move a little bit together so you feel feel that you are connected? No, that's of course more difficult. And I think that kind of we're mixing, I think, levels with these kind of new things. And it is that's one of the answer on your question. Why is it so difficult? Because we want to keep the level in classical music. We want to have artistic super high level, and that's a good thing. We should keep the level, but that's not the same. To try new things because we all we all did all the time. I mean, the, the music developed that way. I mean, keep, keeping the level extremely high and trying new things. That's that is what I want to do, and I think it's sensitive because if you if you go too much on the wild side, then you are close to the fiasco, and then people can always jump on you and say, "Ah, you try to just you know sh- being different or something." And and that, that one also one answer to your question: Why do you do these things? Because I always felt that I was never comfortable in any 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 fields. You know, I was always feeling that I was scared to go on stage when I was younger. I was I was feeling uncomfortable with working with uh, musicians. I, I felt socially shy and and all these things. So it didn't really matter what I did. You know, I, I played Mozart concerto or Debussy, and I was feeling ah. Oh, this has to be fantastic, and I felt uncomfortable. And then I played the Hilborg Concerto, and I was dancing on stage, and I had a mask on my face, and it was virtuosic half an hour concerto with learning by heart. And the feeling was about the same uncomfortableness or the same thrill. So that was that was quite good for me that I felt so uncomfortable whatever I did. You know, <laughs> I was not. I was never a guy who just put the fingers on the piano and or on the clarinet and said, I can do this piece. I know how to play Mozart. No one can say something else. No, I don't know how to play Mozart. I always feel it's a reincarnation who was who is supposed to be reborn at the moment with the people that I'm playing. And that's why I always feel, in a way, unsecure. But I feel, I, I think it's good. I'm, I'm quite proud to be unsecure in that sense. In, the, in one sense, I'm very secure to what I'm doing and what I want, but I'm unsecure in how things going to go. You combine different capabilities of yours on stage. So, for example, many times I get to have a talk with someone on stage and then jump and start playing with the violin. And we always say that talking and playing, you use different parts of the brain and you do it from scratch you you play and the next second you're talking and then you're playing again does it affect your way of thinking do you practice that this transition between playing and then talking as an actor or as as a as a host of of a performance does it take an effort or or yeah i think you're totally right i think you're totally right that it is is because i feel it sometimes i feel when i performing and and i stop performing and i'm i'm totally it's like I'm muted, so I have to wait a little bit <laughs> until it comes. And especially if you're talking in, in, in language that you are not used to talk. I, I did uh, a project called Retrotopia in German, and my German is very limited. And uh, I felt m- many times on stage that I was, of course, not at all able to improvise. So So you have a Sometimes it could be silence for 10 seconds when my brain tried to adjust from the music to the language and try to get on track. So, 
but you have to practice it. I, th- I think you're right. You have to practice it and, and it has also nice connection, you know. It could be, as I said, sometimes when you do these holistic holistic pieces, like you, you use different art form, you can feel that the different art forms are touching each other, like very sensitive, but they are touching each other. And that's why you're not sure what goes to your heart, like in opera or like in, in fantastic movies or something, you know, you can feel that the composer of a movie has really got to your heart or, or you are not really sure what touched you. And I think we should not be too afraid of it sometimes. We are we are so focused on the details and we I, I'm totally nerdy sometimes. And you and of course the when I play with Swedish Chamber Orchestra for an audience uh, in our hometown, I'm not sure if they feel and, and hear all the details that we worked on. But maybe that's not important. Maybe it's what they felt or what they felt that they have been a part of. That's the important thing. I have a strange question for you. Um, yeah. You are now a world-known clarinet player, world-known, famous musician. What does fame brings you, besides, of course, massaging your ego? Does it help? Does it bring something other than, you know, the, the feeling of I'm so good or whatever? I think ego had more to do with my youth. And I have not less drive now. I maybe have even more drive than I was when I was younger. But for totally different reason. I don't have to conquer the world at all anymore. I mean, I, I still have a feeling when I'm performing with a great orchestra, a uh, concerto, that it has this moment of magic through the piece. I wouldn't say the whole piece are never magic for me. It's quite few places in, in a concerto that I really feel the freedom and the magic. But those small, small moments are enough for me. And they are never created alone. I always felt like it was something that happened between us or I can maybe be the... Um, I could have inspired the orchestra or they have inspired me to do something really, really above what I usually do. Uh, but I think ego is not so much a part of my life in that sense. And it's maybe I got help because I already, I could break my neck artistically now and almost get away with it because... I don't, I don't feel that I have so much to prove anymore uh, when it comes to clarinet playing. But I have a lot more to give. And it, when I said give, it, it's include very much to give to the next generation, to give to, to inspire people or to, you know, just pay back or to with my foundation, for example, as well, that helping people. But it's a sensitive question because I, I realize... Well, I realized, first of all, that you could be questioning me when I said it, that you can say, oh, my God, you, you still have a big ego, because I know I've seen you performing and I've seen you talking to an orchestra. Of course, I could be lying to myself and to everyone, 
But I, I think, yeah, I think it's a part of me that really enjoy. As a conductor, I feel that it's the most unego thing I could do because it has so much to do with creating a feeling that we are listening to each other. That's the most important thing, and we, I can transform something to the orchestra, but I cannot just showing. Don't do this without me because I'm controlling this situation, and you are just. Because people are too good nowadays. Maybe this was the maestro feeling that could be done in the in the past. But as as more time goes now, and I'm like digging into this conducting field, uh, I don't feel that I will never go t- totally into it because I love playing and I want to be a whole, more holistic uh, type of musician. <clears throat> but I really think the time is over when the dictators can can just tell the orchestra uh, this is this is my way of doing things because I know everything much more than you do because even the young generation are so educated and have thought of things so much and play the pieces so much because if you deal with the with the older generation all the older pieces it's so much played and we have so many you know recordings to listen to you've mentioned your foundation and i love it that you are trying to give back or to, to give anything to the youth, to the next generation. Maybe you could say a few words about the, the foundation, but more importantly, what is for you the main point that is important to convey to these young people, this young next generation of musicians, of listeners, of, of you know, the people that will actually like or love music? Many things. I think, for example, what you do now, it's, it's a great thing. For example, to, to dare to talk about things is always good. You can see it in the politics, in the religion, in the family life, that lack of communication and lack of, you know, being afraid to just meet up and discuss things. That's a dangerous things. And, and I think one of my most important things as a father, for example, and I really, really try it, is to keep the door open. to the kids all the time, whatever happened, because now you are, you are so much out of control for the kids and it will be worse. I'm sure because all these platforms that you can sort of get lost in and uh, it's a, a total different world than when, 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 as I was brought up 30 years ago or 40 years ago, <laughs> time flies. And, and um, I think, so we should, be able to discuss that's one of the things I, I, I think I give that message to many young musicians that I'm very open to talk about things when people say how did you do, how, what is the secret uh, wh- what shall I do with this and I don't think it's a secret I think but I'm very happy to sit down with them and try to find ways for them or I can also tell what I did but that's not so important I think because, because the landscape change all the time uh, you can be inspired I get inspired I get I got inspired I before this talk with you I listened through some of your uh, podcasts and I was inspired by all I listened to so you can always try to get inspired of, of, of people who are much more experienced than you for example and so on uh, but it's always a, a sort of a play between people what what can we do achieve with this maybe you should go in this direction maybe you should do this and that's how I was brought up my, my teacher who was a 
genius of, of, of actually teaching on a very high level. I, I remember this feeling of being so well prepared. I practiced like crazy. And the only thing he said, feel our bite, Martin. We start, and I was so frustrated when he said this. And suddenly he said this, did you feel that? Hast du es gefühlt? And then was this magical moment Then we worked for the phrase like for 45 minutes, Hans Deinzer was this, he was in Germany. And then I felt the magic and we will never go back to this lower level. I have felt this, what was some, some subtle things with the phrase and I was so happy that he could transform it to me. Um, but also what he brought to me was he brought me in some direction. We worked through the Bollea's pieces and Stockhausen and all these strange 70s um, try to make, they try to, to, to really expanding the, the, the classical music in their ways. Uh, and I did all these pieces moving around on stage with Bollea's domains or whatever, you know, Harlequin by Stockhausen. But then suddenly he, he phoned me up by, I have something for you, for you, Martin. And then he said he 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 had suggested me as a main character in an opera, for being playing three hours as a as a pie piper of Hamelin in a German small city, and I did this opera role and I learned the whole part by heart and it was a good development because I stand on on the stage for for twenty five performance in the end. Um, and that, of course, could maybe not fit all of his students, but he knows maybe it was a development for me or an education for me. So I think everyone is different, and they should be treated by in a different uh, in a different. All peoples could be find their own ways. That's the way the classical business should develop, and not like we're doing exactly the same all of us. Thank you so much, Martin Frost, for this conversation. I think I'll try and enjoy it more as much as possible and find more ways to pass on the knowledge. In the next episode, my guest will be the artist Emmanuel Wittstum. We'll speak about innovation in art, changing our mindset about the audience behavior. Totally worth the wait. As usual, please follow Strings Attached on Facebook, Spotify or Apple. And if you like this episode, send it to a friend. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or in the email address, all in the episode description. I'm Asaf Maoz, and thank you for listening to Strings Attached. And I remember Gabor, for example, who you, who you spoke to, some, said something about it, which I thought was brilliant. What did he say? Yeah, he spoke about his mother, who was suffering about dep uh, from depression, remember? Yep. And he was trained to listen so much to the voice, the color of the voice as a child. And of course, we all do. I was also having this situation, but with my father. And I think that's a key to the magic, to, to, be, to have these ears that are so able to see the colors, but in music, to, 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 to listen to them. And to go into this borderland that you cannot really put words on it, but you can feel it. And you can maybe have metaphors for it.